Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 22. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 22. I know that many of you attended the Gamma Conference yesterday, and you heard some great teaching, great preaching. George Lawson, Paul Shirley, our own Gabe, Matt White, and now you have to hear me. I'm, I'm really sorry. <clears throat> I apologize in advance. In, uh, in November, I'm going to have a great opportunity to do uh, chapel for the University of Nebraska football team when they come here to play Maryland. I will be cheering for the Huskers. I'm sorry. Um, my wife is from Nebraska, so it was kind of one of those things that it was agreed on in our, in our marriage vows. Um, <laughs> that I would cheer for Nebraska football. Um, But some of the speakers they have lined up this year for chapel are, include John MacArthur, Dr. Albert Moeller, former Super Bowl MVP, Kurt Warner, Larry the Cable Guy, and then me. So so that's kind of how I feel this morning. Uh, But the conference was on suffering, so we will continue that theme. You will suffer through my preaching this morning. And do so with great joy. Amen? (laughs) Genesis 22, a very familiar passage of scripture. Join with me as I read verses 1 through 14. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I... And the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, 
In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Sitting majestically atop the highest hill in Toledo, Spain, is the Alcazar, a 16th century fortress. In the Civil War of the 1930s, the Alcazar became a battleground when the loyalists tried to oust the nationalists who held the fortress. During one dramatic episode of the war, the nationalist leader received a phone call while in the office at the Alcazar. It was from his son, who had been captured by the loyalists. The ultimatum, if the father didn't surrender the Alcazar to them, they would kill his son. The father weighed his options, and after a long pause and with a heavy heart, he said to his son, then die like a man. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? To give up your son so that others might live. To give up your son in obedience to Almighty God. Well, that is exactly what Abraham does here in Genesis chapter 22. So to get right to our outline and to the word today, number one, I want to look at the command of God, the command of God here in verses one and two. In verse one, we read, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Moses, the human author of the Pentateuch, including the book of Genesis, tells us here that God tested Abraham. The Hebrew verb here is nasah. It means to test or to try. If you're still reading the King James, it translates it this way. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Tempt is not the best translation for this word. It misrepresents the meaning of the verb. And it contradicts what we read in scripture. We read in James 1, 13 to 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. This is not a temptation from God. This is a testing, a testing by God. It is an examining of Abraham's heart. And that is proven in verse 12 when the Lord says to Abraham, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And here is the test from God here in verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. God tells Abraham here to take his son, his only son, whom you love, and You may be thinking, well, wait a minute, Abraham does have another son, Ishmael. The Lord is obviously aware of this. He is not mistaken. Isaac is Abraham's beloved son, the only son of promise. Isaac, which means laughter. In Genesis chapter 21, we see Ishmael being disinherited and sent away and leaving Isaac as Abraham's only son. And what we see next is so difficult to understand and really impossible to fathom, this is an unexpected mandate from a holy God, a shocking command, an an incomprehensible order from the throne. So shocking and so incomprehensible that some Bible commentators have reinterpreted what we clearly see here in Genesis 22. 
They try to get around the offense of the story by suggesting that Abraham only thought he heard the voice of God telling him to offer his son Isaac. According to this view, Abraham was influenced by the heathen Canaanites around him. If his pagan neighbors could show devotion to their gods by offering up their children as human sacrifices, should not he be willing to do the same for his God, the true God, the everlasting God? And so these believers, these commentators would say that Abraham was misguided and began his journey to Mount Moriah. And in this view, God does not enter the picture until verse 12, when he sees what Abraham is about to do to his son Isaac and intervenes before it's too late, arriving just in time. How convenient. This view is inaccurate. We who believe that the Bible is the God-breathed, inspired, and authoritative word of God, we see something of great importance here in verse 2, the words he said. God said. God spoke these words to Abraham. This was his command to his servant. And so as we look at this command, we, we do see that it is indeed shocking, shocking for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of God's promise to Abraham. Let's see that promise. If you just go back a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is the Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham, that through his son Isaac, he would become a father of many nations. Genesis 15, such a great chapter. I heard R.C. Sproul saying one time that if he could only have one chapter of the Bible, if he were to go into prison and could just have one chapter, it would be Genesis 15 because of this great covenant that God makes with Abraham. In Genesis 21, verse 12, where we see the sending away of Ishmael and Hagar, God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid, Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And so we come to this crucial question, how could God do this if Isaac was now sacrificed upon the altar? A second reason why this is a shocking command is because of God's hatred of murder and human sacrifice. In Leviticus 24, 17, we read that if a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 12, 31, you shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, 
for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Nevertheless, friends, this is what God commands Abraham to do. We see nothing else like this in all of sacred scripture. And so the response to this unique command is as stunning as the command itself. For there we see number two, the obedience of Abraham. The command of God, and now we look at the obedience of Abraham. And that is found here in verses 3 through 10. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Under this heading of the obedience of Abraham, first of all, I want you to see the, the, excuse me, the immediateness of his obedience. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. This is a story about a father and his son, a father who loved his son dearly. We see that in verse 2, as the Lord says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. We are tempted, I think, to read into this text a little bit. We may want to add a little Hollywood drama to this story and say that the reason Abraham got up early was because he could not sleep. I mean, how could you sleep on a night like this? Knowing God had called him to sacrifice his one and only son. Though it may be true that Abraham did not sleep that night, this phrase, Abraham rose early in the morning, which is found two other times in in Genesis, is related to his obedience to the Lord. Genesis 19, 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Genesis 21, 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. This is the case here as well. Abraham loves God. He loves God with all of his heart. And he is willing to go wherever God sends him. And he is willing to do whatever God tells him. And so we see him rising early in the morning, saddling his donkey and taking two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. So we see the immediateness of his obedience. Secondly, we look at the extent of his obedience. Verse four, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. I had the privilege of going to an FCA camp years ago, uh, a couple times out to Estes Park, Colorado, just a beautiful setting at the YMCA of the Rockies. It's great hiking there. And there was a, a mountain that we would hike there right outside of the camp. <clears throat> and it was called Eagle Cliff. The base was about a quarter mile from the dorm room where I stayed. And so we would climb this mountain whenever we were there the final day. It took about an hour and a half to get to the top. And we would do that during our free time in the afternoon. Uh, not a real commitment. We would hike the mountain. We would take in the spectacular views. We would watch our footing when we were coming back down, go shower and get ready for dinner. 
For Abraham, however, the extent of his obedience to God here is amazing. We understand that this was the third day, making Moriah a three-day journey, approximately 50 miles. Abraham was willing to make this long trek in order to please and obey his God. Next, I want you to see the sincerity of his obedience. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. There is absolute sincerity here. No trickery, no winking at his two servants. Abraham's intent here is to do exactly what God had called him to do. And so in verse six, we read that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. Stunning language that Abraham put the wood on his son, the very wood to be used in this requested sacrifice. Back in verse three, we see that he split the wood for the burnt offering. We read the language here that he carried the fire in his hand. That same hand that once held this little boy. That hand would now be used to start a fire a fire that would soon consume his precious son. He carried the knife in his hand, the knife that would be used to slay his beloved son. This was completely sincere, no trickery, no games, no going through the motions. Next, I want you to see the focus of Abraham's obedience. Look at verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This observation and question from Isaac gives us some better understanding about this son of Abraham. He is not an infant. I know that's really cute to think about. Isaac being a little two-year-old. Somebody even sent me an email this week of a little picture of a boy and it was, looked like it was picture day and it said, this is what Isaac looked like when he climbed the mountain, you know? That's fun to think about, but it's just not accurate. Isaac is able to walk. He's able to go a great distance as we see here in verse three, verse six. So the two of them walked on together. That's repeated again in verse eight. The two of them walked on together. He is not a baby. He is able to talk. He is not a child. He is able to comprehend. He understands that sacrifice involves animals and he sees that there is no animal with them. And so he asks his father the question, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In verse five, we see Abraham saying to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. The Hebrew word here, na'ar, can be translated boy or youth or servant, but it can also be translated young man. So there's a lot of variation among commentators as to how old Isaac is. MacArthur believes over 20 20 years old. Josephus believes 25 years. Jewish rabbinical tradition places Isaac at 37 years old. So Isaac is a young man, but he is a grown man. 
And then in verse nine, we read this. They came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham is completely focused on what God has called him to do. Though his voice may have quivered when he told Isaac, the Lord will provide the lamb. Though his hands may have shook while he prepared the wood for the altar. And though tears must have filled his eyes as he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. He is focused and he is intent on obeying his God. No matter what the cost. Even if it cost him the life of his one and only son. And we see the illustration of that focus in verse 10 where we read that Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Most Bible translations translate this Hebrew verb slay. The ESV translates it slaughter. And that is the true sense of this word to slaughter. The Hebrew is shahat. This verb appears 84 times in the Old Testament with five exceptions where it means beaten or hammered out like gold, shahat means to kill. It is most often used in a ritual sacrifice and a few times to kill another person. It is used in, in Exodus twenty nine eleven, where the Lord says, you shall slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Exodus twenty nine sixteen, you shall slaughter the ram and take its blood and sprinkle it around the altar. Ezekiel 16, 21, where the Lord says, you slaughtered my children and offered them up up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Moses, who is writing this account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that this was Abraham's intention for his only son to slaughter Isaac. It's the language of John the Baptist when John the Baptist says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees and therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's the language of James who pictures the judge standing right at the door, ready to execute judgment. And here we see that Abraham is ready to lower the knife and slay his beloved son. His death and sacrifice are imminent. How many fathers are here this morning who have a son, we cannot begin to fathom what Abraham was willing to do. How then could Abraham be so focused? How could he be so intent on obeying God, even though it would cost his son Isaac his life? Listen to what we read in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Listen to this. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Friends, Abraham had great faith. He believed God. He believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead, even if he plunged that knife into his chest. 
and slaughtered his beloved son just like a priest would slaughter a lamb, even if the fire of the altar would consume his son, leaving nothing but his bones. And then we come to verse 11. That little word, it's a great word, but I call it the grandest little word in the Bible. Amen? And here we see the provision of the Lord in verses 11 to 14. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. As we know from our study of Genesis, Abraham had the great privilege of receiving direct revelation from the Lord. Yahweh himself would speak to Abraham. The Lord would speak to Abraham and Abraham would speak to the Lord. In fact, the first recorded prayer in all of scripture comes from Abraham. It's found in Genesis 18 as Abraham pleads with the Lord to not destroy the righteous. When God pours out his judgment and wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. When the Lord spoke to Abraham in verse 2 and told him, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. These had to be the most terrifying words he had ever heard from the Lord. But when he heard the Lord speak this time, when he heard the God of the universe speak his name in kindness and in love, spoken twice here, Abraham, Abraham, these had to be the most delightful words he had ever heard. And Abraham responded just as he had before, here I am. In verse 1, we see that God, Elohim, <clears throat> tested Abraham and spoke to Abraham, telling him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And we read here in verse 11 that it is the angel of the Lord calling to him. And it makes us wonder, who is the angel of the Lord? I think when you do a study of this title throughout the pages of Holy Scripture, you will see that, first of all, the angel of the Lord is supernatural. Secondly, the angel of the Lord is not a created angel. And thirdly, the angel of the Lord is God himself. There is no doubt in my mind that the angel of the Lord, this phrase, is the Lord himself. It is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not consumed. Exodus 3, verses 4 and 5, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. In Judges chapter 2 verse 1, we read that the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I would argue and agree with most conservative Bible scholars that the angel of the Lord is the second member of the Trinity. This is a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? 
that Abraham is speaking with Christ himself. Well, what did he tell him? Verse 12, he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I think it's important that we clarify something here. The Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which has existed from all eternity in heaven, was not in heaven eating popcorn, anxiously watching and waiting to see what was going to happen. The Lord knew from all eternity what Abraham would do. The Lord had promised Abraham that through Isaac, his descendants would be named The Lord would not have made Abraham a promise that he was unable to keep because our God is a promise-keeping God who always keeps his promises. Praise God for that. The Lord says, now I know that you fear God. The Lord knew this from the beginning, but this served as a demonstration of that faith. It is proof that Abraham revered God as sovereign, that he trusted him wholeheartedly, and that he would obey him without question. Matthew Henry says, Abraham is not only approved, but applauded. He obtains an honorable testimony that he is righteous. Now know I that thou fearest God. God knew it before, but now Abraham had given a most memorable evidence of it. He needed do no more. What he had done was sufficient to prove the religious regard he had to God and his authority. James tells us in James 2, 21 to 22, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Verse 13, then Abraham raised his eyes, probably dried his eyes and looked and behold behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. What a coincidence that a ram was caught in the thicket. What are the odds that this would happen, right? No, there are no, con- no coincidences with God. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. He was sovereign in making Sarah barren. He was sovereign in opening her womb. He was sovereign in the salvation of Abraham. And he was sovereign over this ram. God in his sovereignty directed this little ram to travel up Mount Moriah or over to Mount Moriah, wherever he came from, to the exact place where Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac. God sovereignly led this ram to the thicket where it would catch its, its thorns, catch its horns and not be able to escape so that Abraham could then offer this ram in the place of his son as a substitute for his son Isaac. That the ram would die in Isaac's place. Friends, this is a preview of the substitutionary death and atonement of the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ, who Abraham has just spoken with. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. 
In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord provided. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provided a substitute to die in the place of his son Isaac. Nearly 2,000 years later, a baby would be born to a virgin girl named Mary. This was the first perfect baby ever born. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born pure and holy without original sin. He would grow up tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, obeying and fulfilling the law of God perfectly. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry and began by being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. When John saw this man coming to him to be baptized, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This man, Jesus, performed his first miracle at Cana in Galilee, turning the water into wine. He performed many other miracles, calming the sea, giving sight to the blind, causing the lame to walk, and even raising the dead to life. After three years of public ministry, it was time for him to do what he had been called to do, to lay down his life for sinners, in obedience to the Father's command from eternity past. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his disciples. He was arrested, tried, and sentenced to die by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. And just as Abraham had placed the wood upon his son Isaac, the Roman soldiers took a wooden cross and forced Jesus to carry this cross. Just as Isaac carried that wood up the hill to Mount Moriah, Jesus would carry his cross up a hill called Calvary to be slaughtered at Golgotha. When Jesus arrived, there were two others being crucified. The cross of Christ would be placed between them. And as the Roman soldiers prepared for his crucifixion and death, one of the soldiers grabbed three spikes and began to drive them into his hands and his feet. As the soldier lifted up the hammer to drive that first spike into the flesh of the perfect son of God, there was no voice from heaven calling out to the soldier by name, instructing him to stop, commanding him to not stretch out his hand against the sinless savior. The Roman soldier would not look over and see a ram caught in the thicket. The only thicket in this story is the thicket where the soldiers gathered those long spikes Spikes that would be up to 12 inches long from a date palm and fashioned it into a crown for Jesus to wear. A crown of thorns that would have cut deeply into his head, adding to the pain and the bleeding. It was not God's will that a ram be caught in the thicket to die in the Savior's place because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He is the substitute, the one to come to die in the place of sinners. 1 Peter 2.24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. It was not God's will that Abraham slay his one and only son, but it was the perfect will of God that God the Father slaughter his one and only son. Isaiah 53.10, shocking words where we read, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. 
putting him to grief. It was God's will that Abraham spare his one and only son, but it was not the perfect will of God that God the Father spare his one and only son. For we read in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. It is impossible to fathom, but this is what God did for us. Amen? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, my sins for his righteousness, the substitutionary atonement. Martin Luther once read this Bible story for family devotions. And when he had finished, his wife Katie said, I do not believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. But Katie answered Martin, he did. And this is our hope. This is the reason we gather here each week to celebrate his death and not only his death, but also his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. He appeared to many over a 40-day period, including 500 at one time. He ascended back to heaven where he is preparing a place for us where we will dwell with him forever. And he is praying for us even now that our faith would not fail. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, how good to read this story, to be on this side of the cross and Lord know that there would come a day when you would send your son, your one and only son, uncreated who has always existed, the word, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. We are so grateful today on this Lord's Day to think back on the obedience of Jesus Christ. How grateful we are that, Lord, you did not cry out to the soldier and tell him to stop. But, Lord, this was your perfect will. It pleased you, Lord, to crush him, putting him to grief. Lord, without his death in our place, we have no hope. We have no reason for being here today. No reason to have joy. But Lord, we do have joy because we know that Christ did indeed come. And he voluntarily laid down his life for sinners. Being beaten and scourged and mocked and crucified on a cruel cross reserved for criminals. That we might be forgiven and that we, we might have everlasting life. Thank you for the atonement. Thank you for the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Thank you for Jesus. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, who has never bowed the knee and placed their trust in Christ and Christ alone, that, Lord, today would be the day that you would bring them to yourself. 
I pray that you would grant them repentance from sin, that you would give them faith to believe that they might have everlasting life. Lord, for those of us who know you, as we think back to your sacrifice today, help us to love you more, that you would have preeminence in each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.